Welcome to Pat Sherlock's podcast series, interviews with top mortgage sales leaders. Learn practical tips for improving sales management results. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Pat Sherlock, and welcome to the podcast. Today's topic is developing a sales process, a very important topic for originators. I have the perfect expert. That's Adam Neff. Adam is a sales manager at Go Mortgage. Previous to Go Mortgage, he was with Fairway Independent Mortgage and Cross Country. Hi, Adam. Hey, Pat. It's great to be on with you. Well, I'm excited about this topic because from a sales training expertise, I would tell you every day what I run across is that there's lack of a sales process. So I can't wait to hear what you have to say. So before we step into that, let's talk about how did you get into the world of mortgage banking? <laughs> That's a great question. How much time do we have? No, I'm just kidding. So as you referenced, my dream growing up, and I was uh, fortunate enough to pursue that dream was as a sportscaster. I had stops all through the Midwest. And found myself in Columbus, Ohio in 2010. And, you know, I was having fun with the sports casting, but decided the nights and weekends and always being on call and at the mercy of teams was a lot. So I was speaking to a friend of mine and uh, he told me he had a job in a mortgage call center, said that I should apply. So I applied, I passed my safe access and they hired me and uh, started in a call center. And about 11 years later, here we are. Well, that's uh, certainly, we don't have that many uh, former sports hosts, but I'm glad that you joined us for sure. Talk to our listeners about what your challenges are in your current position as a sales manager. Yeah, the challenge is keeping the team excited, keeping them motivated. Obviously, there are a lot of headwinds in the mortgage space right now. Everyone's aware that interest rates have gone up dramatically in the past, you know, 24, 36 months. Inventory is an issue in major metropolitan areas. I live in Columbus, Ohio, so like the Columbus, the Cincinnati, Cleveland, areas like that just don't have a lot of homes for sale. And there's extreme competition for those homes. You have a lot of people moving from the coasts, moving from, from more expensive areas like a Dallas, a Los Angeles, a New York, New Jersey, that now can work from home that, that, are, that are outbidding clients in Columbus. And so for a lot of my team members, they have well-qualified buyers who are just struggling, you know, to get into contract to find a house that they could close on. And it's tough when you work five, six, maybe even seven days out of the week. You do that for two or three weeks and you don't have anything to show for it, right? It's tough to, sure. to continue to be excited, to continue to be motivated, to continue to be happy. But we're certainly doing our best. We know, as you do and probably a lot of the listeners, it's a cyclical business. Everything will work itself out. It's just a little choppy water right now. Well, that's true. And I do think that it's interesting to me. So many people, because of the refi market, really didn't do selling and now they have to. And so I think some of them have forgotten what they were supposed to be doing. So that's another topic unto itself. But talk to us about the trends that you see for the rest of the year for our mortgage banking industry. I think the biggest trend right now is the relationships and really is the reputation. The highest offer for a property doesn't always win out. You know, I think for a lot of realtors, they're starting to realize, you know, there's more to it. Does the seller want to close quick? Do they want to close longer? I was talking to a gentleman today and I said, look, I can close your loan quick. But if the seller wants 60, 75 days because they're not moving for two months, then how does a 15-day close appeal to them? Right. right? There's a lot of things that can be done to appeal to a seller. Obviously, all things being equal, the higher you know, the, the offer price, the better it's going to be. But a lot of it, too, is reputation. If, if I stack up a pre 
pre-approval letter of mine against somebody who's either not in this market or realtors don't know, I would like to think that I have a little bit of an advantage because the listing agent knows that I've been around, they've worked with me, they've closed transactions with me, and that will help get offers accepted. And I think that's appealing to both agents and buyers alike. And so to continue to cultivate a decent reputation, to have good online reviews, to be known in the community as reputable, to put together presentations, and really do your due diligence with the buyers up front because nobody wants to get someone into contract. Two days later, they see their loan docs, and all of a sudden, yeah, they can qualify, but their payment is $600 above where they thought they'd be, you know, because they ran their own calculation or whatever. And then all of a sudden, the buyer terminates the contract, and everyone's like, what just happened here, right? So to be able to convey to a listing agent and a buying agent, look, not only are they pre-approved, not only income, assets, credit, the whole, you know, the whole shebang has been reviewed, we've gone over numbers. And depending on where the home insurance falls, five, 10 bucks, one way or the other, the buyer is comfortable with these numbers. So you're not going to get a surprise later on. That's a really good point for sure. Talk about, and you already kind of did mention it, about keeping your team motivated, but have you had to make changes in your managing or, or things uh, that you have done to really work through this hard market? I try to be a hands-off manager as much as I can. I try to be their teammate and I try to lead by example. I think one of the largest challenges has been getting people into the office. I don't expect everyone to come into the office every day, 40 hours a week. Certainly, if a loan officer was doing that, they're probably not doing their job, right? Their job is to be out face-to-face -face meeting people, having a cup of coffee, going to a realtor association meeting, going to a closing, things like that. But I do think that there is some benefit in showing up to the office for a few hours a week, being around some of your colleagues. That way, you can see if they're having success doing something by osmosis, if they're struggling, we can brainstorm. So we've tried to do little fun things that probably a lot of places do, and that is, you know, Tuesday morning, just provide some bagels or donuts or some kind of breakfast buffet to get everyone in for a half an hour, sit in a room, come up with a topic, but also brainstorm, really make it just an open discussion. I think a lot of times when someone is struggling, especially someone that's been in the industry a long time and has seen a lot of success, they're a little embarrassed. They're a little inhibited to admit, hey, what used to work really well isn't working. What I'm trying to do is not leading to the results I want. And so we really try to encourage them to say, look, no judgment, right? We're all here to succeed together, but you've got to be honest, right? If, if I go to the doctor and you, everyone goes to the doctor, at least I hope they do, right? And the doctor asks you some pretty uh, intrusive questions, right? And if the doctor says, well, Adam, you know, do you smoke? And I don't smoke. All right, but the doctor, do you smoke? And I do. And I say, no, he or she may misdiagnose me, right? I can be honest with the person that wants to help me. And more so than that, I have to trust that they're asking me these questions in a safe environment with the intention of saying, okay, I want to be able to diagnose your health, your business with whatever, so that I can help you and put you on the right path. Well, that is a great lead way into our topic today, and that is developing a sales process. So, Adam, what's your thoughts on the importance of developing a successful sales process? Yeah, it's a great question. I would say attitude is number one in terms of what do you need to have success in this business. You've got to wake up and be excited, have a good attitude. If you wake up every day and you say the market stinks and there's no inventory, even if you try to fake it, it's going to come across in your voice, right? So attitude is number one, but I think a close 1A or 1B would be your process. 
Because if a loan officer, if a manager, if whoever doesn't have a process that's consistent, that's effective, that people like, then it's just all over the place and business can go awry. And so I think to have a process that A, you're excited about, because if you're not excited about doing something, it's just not going to work. But not just that you're excited, but you can do it consistently over and over and over. And it's almost like scripting, which I know you've talked about on other podcasts, right? Mm-hmm. Scripting, scripting shouldn't sound robotic, right? Scripting should sound natural because you've just said it over and over and over. So it's just become part of who you are. No different than you meet those say, hey, how's your day going, right? Well, this is natural. So the process shouldn't be robotic. It should just be natural. So talk about how you developed your process and, and specifically on since you're originating, what does your process look like and what do you find are the hurdle points when you see originators resisting having a process? The process was a lot of trial and error. And I know that sounds a little bit cliche, right? That's probably what a lot of people would say. Oh, I tried this and it worked. So I stuck with her. I tried that and it didn't work. I think anytime you're going to implement something in business, you have to figure out what's going to be my measure, what's going to be my barometer, whether it's working or not, right? If I'm going to call 10 people a day for the next month, let's say, for the next 20 business days, I'm going to call 200 people, realtors, financial people, whatever, that's great. But after the 20 days is up, I'm going to look back and say, was this working or not? Well, how am I going to measure that? Well, let's just say, I say, all right, I'm going to call... 200 people total, if I get five face-to-face appointments, I'll have considered that a success. So 20 days goes by, I've called 200 people, I've only set two face-to-face appointments. I have to then look introspectively and say, okay, I didn't meet my goal, right? I made some headway and set up some meetings. Did it not work because just calling people doesn't work? Or did it not work because maybe what I was saying was not correct? Maybe the people I was calling We're not the best audience for me. So when you start with a process, put things in place, but then figure out a time frame and a barometer in which you're going to measure it to see if it's effective. And if it's not, it doesn't mean to me throw it all out. It might mean that. You might look and say that was an idea I thought would work and it didn't, or it could just mean I got to tweak it. It all starts with the pre-approval consultation. And for me, right, whether someone is a first-time home buyer utilizing Dow payment assistance or a bond type program and their low moderate income or whether they're buying their 10th property and it's a luxurious beach house on the coast, right? And it's millions of dollars. My process stays the same. And I don't say that in a cliched fair lending where you treat everybody. No, it stays the same. You could ask any client, agent, employee of mine. It's the same with every single person. I don't get more excited for that luxury buyer, less excited for that first-time buyer, they all get the same from me. Now, the first-time buyer, you know, may have some more questions, right? Maybe a little bit more needy, certainly, but my process stays consistent, right? I ask the same questions, I go on a little bit of a fact-finding mission, and I want to learn about the person. Mortgages are just a byproduct of me as a human being getting to introduce myself to others, right? It's just like the podcast. You love doing the broadcast and the podcast. This is a mechanism for you to get to know other people. That's sure. fun, right? It's fun right. to hear people's stories. It's fun to hear their background. Every human being has something interesting or a different perspective to say, and I love that. So it starts with that. And, you know, that I utilize the technology based on their time frame, 
based on where they're going. And then what's the process once they get in contract? Communication with the realtors, with title, with insurance, with any other third parties, an appraiser, an HOA, and then of course the buyers throughout the process. More than anything, the process has got to be replicated every single time. There are people that are very loyal to certain brands, whether it's an airline, whether it's a hotel, whether it's a restaurant, right? Part of the reason, if people think about it, that they're so loyal to these brands is because when they show up to ABC restaurant, you know, once a week for breakfast, it's the same menu, it's the same experience, it's the same green, it's, the, it's familiar. People like familiarity. People like that if they fly on XYZ Airlines, they know exactly where to go and when to be there and what it's going to be like in takeoff and what they can do and what they can't do. And I can pack this bag, but I can't do that, right? And if your process is consistent over and over and over, realtors and clients will really take to that and they'll be excited because it limits the amount of surprise. So Adam, when you see loan officers, and it's no surprise that it's a successful originator as you are from a producing manager standpoint, you put a process in place. But certainly, there are a lot of loan officers out there that refuse to do it or don't want to do it. Talk about how do you convince them to do it and what should a process look like? You're absolutely right. And the challenge is, is when a loan officer starts out, let's say they come to work for me next week, right? And they left their pipeline back at their last company. So they're staring at their pipeline and there's zero there, right? Zero pre-approval, zero locked loan. So what are they gonna do? They're gonna make a ton of calls, ask clients, realtors, and work, work, work. And then the pipeline builds up. And all of a sudden, we get a few months out and they got six closings coming, right? And, and so they work, 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 they build up these six closings and they take their foot off the gas. And they close those six loans, and you know what happens? They look at the pipeline, it's back to zero. And so for one or two months, they struggle again, and they start working, 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 and then all of a sudden, buy closings. And that, to me, is fairly typical for loan officers. And so it, it's a little bit more work to put the process in place. you got to pay more attention to detail. you really got to watch what you're doing, and not just put the process in place, but like I said, measure whether it's working or not. If you close 10 transactions in the next three months, and you only get two positive reviews, but it might be what you're doing is not effective and working. So it's really a matter of, like I said, leading by example, showing people, here's what I do, but here's why I do it, right? Of my last 10 consumer reviews that closed, in my last 10 you know, feedbacks from realtors, six out of 10 all mentioned, they really loved what we did at pre-approval. They really appreciated the communication surrounding the appraisal. They really thought the closing and the follow-up after closing made things a lot easier and a lot less stressful. Whatever it is, right, whether it's the day before closing, the day of closing, when their first payment is due, right, everything in our process is structured, you know, with certain verbiage. And so just to show the loan officer, this isn't me in a vacuum saying, hey, do this. I say it works. This is anecdotal evidence that I want. I want you, Pat, if you close the loan with me, right, to hit me between the eyes. If you felt like something was great, let me know. If you felt like something was terrible, let me know. I'm only going to do better for the next client if I know, hey, Pat and five of their clients were like, look, Adam, I get what you were trying to do here, but it was just kind of annoying, right? It was frustrating and confusing. Then I got to go back and look at it. And if you're the only one that's ever said that, then I have to say, all right, well, maybe Pat was an outlier. But if you and then four others say that, then all of a sudden, right? So the process is there, and it's not set in stone. 
is malleable, right? It can be changed, but more than anything, to show the loan officers, here's why we do it, and then why we seek the feedback, you know, to ensure that what we're doing is right. So talk about a little bit more in depth, Adam, on what is that process? Let's say you start, it sounds like you have a certain one for the pre-approval process, and then talk about what the sequence actually looks for you, what you have found worked. Yeah, absolutely. So after the pre-approval consultation, if we need some documents from the client, which we typically do, we request those. We make a call to the realtor. We always give gratitude. Thank you for sending me, Suzanne and Jimmy. I really appreciate it. I requested documents from them. They told me they could get them within 24 hours. We'll have them back. We'll issue the pre-approval letter. Once we have what we need to feel confident with the pre-approval, we send it to the client, send it to the agents. And then the very first Saturday, after the pre-approval, we send them a $5 each person. So if there's a borrower and a co-borrower, it would be 10 bucks, right? We send them each a, a virtual coffee card, one of the big name coffee shops. Um, and we also copy the realtor on there. So we say it came from us and came from the realtor. We don't send out 100 pre-approvals a week, right? So it doesn't cost me that much. It's a small token. What we say is, in this housing market, you're going to need some energy, right, to look for homes. Here's a coffee on us. And people absolutely love that. Sure. But a lot of loan officers, I see, and I don't think this is bad, will post on social media on a Saturday, I'm working this weekend, blah, blah, blah. This is my way of subtly letting people know I'm working, right? I am working just like most people in real estate, but I'm not blasting out that I'm working. I'm saying, here's a Starbucks card or whatever, right, to start your search. After that, we, we, use, we utilize our app and we tag our agents in the app. So anytime the client goes on, to run numbers or do anything, we get a notification. And it helps because a lot of people are taking a long time to get into contract. And if someone's looking for a couple months and they just go offline, right, three months later, they're playing around with the app. I get a notification. I can message the realtor and say, hey, if you haven't talked to Jimmy and Suzanne for a while, you might want to give them a call. It looks like they're hot to try, right? Once they get into contract, right, there's an email template we send to both the buyer and we have a different email we send to the buyer's agent and the seller's agent both. We ask for their transaction and closing coordinators. We confirm closing dates, everything else. Let them know here's who we are and introduce them to our team. And then we do have a CRM that handles a lot of the automated communication throughout the process from there. Once we get the appraisal back, it's always a phone call. Hey, the appraisal is back. Everything is good. We can release contingencies. And then once we have docs finalized, we do have a templated email that is a little bit wordy and probably should be cut down, but what we try to do is cover every question the consumer's going to have, right? Here's how you get your wire instructions. Here's your funds to close. Here's when your first payment is due. Most of our clients escrow. So, hey, if you get a bill from your insurance, don't pay it. Let us know. When you go to make your first payment, right, we're going to be in touch about a week before your first payment just to confirm you're good to go. I mean, how many people listening have had a client call the 800 number or a subservicer or whatever figuring out how do I make my first payment. To me, if a client calls a subservicer or my servicing department for their first payment, I failed, right? They should be calling me because they're a referral source, right? If I call them, if their first payment is due July 1, and I call them and I say, hey, your first payment is coming up in four days. Are you good? Do you have any questions, right? No, no, I'm good. I set it all up. It's direct debit. It'll come out on the fifth, blah, blah, blah. Great. Hey, by the way, Appreciate that nice review you left for me, right? I'm going to give you two weeks, but I bet you can find someone in your sphere that's thinking about buying real estate in the next 12 months. I'd love an introduction. Would you mind if I call you back, right? 
And so the email we send before closing also talks about how they're going to get you know a lot of junk mail, <laughs> frankly, right? When a mortgage and a deed get recorded, it's public record. And some of these companies, frankly, are pretty creative. They make it look like it came from me. They make it look like it came from my company. So again, rather than having a consumer get some life insurance offer in the mail or mortgage insurance or whatever, right, and think it came from me, hey, if you get something, take a picture and text it to me. Let me know. 99.9% go in the recycling bin, but there are going to be a few things you're going to get from my company. I just want to make sure that everything is good to go. Again, the overriding theme throughout prequal all the way through closing and beyond is I'm your contact, right? Call me, call me, text me, email me. A lot of people, I think, have a process where they get to closing, they get the review, and they move on. And maybe they call their past client back every six months or a year. Maybe they're calling them back more now because business is slow, but we've got to be more proactive. And so that's the basics of how the process is set up. Well, it sounds like a terrific process for sure. We're down to the last few minutes, and we can go on for hours about this. I, I can't wait to hear what you have to say as a wrap-up, but talk about the takeaways for our listeners. Yeah, the biggest thing is don't put something in your process that you're not excited to do, right? If you think sending out a, a coffee card on a Saturday morning is, is cheesy, it makes you look chintzy, whatever, don't do it. I tell my loan officers all the time, same thing with scripting. If it doesn't sound like something you'd say, don't say it. I was on the radio for 13 years doing four hours a day. I'm not a former athlete. I'm not a name, you know, coach or sports expert. It was genuine, right? And so do things you're excited about, right? Some people send out like a little gold ticket, right? Hey, you're free approved. Here's your golden ticket or whatever it is, right? Do things you're excited about. Because whether it's the most primitive client or the most sharp, intelligent client, people have a gut feeling about us, right? And if what you're doing is not genuine, they will see through that. Again, measure what you're doing. Is it working? And I don't mean is it working in terms of funded volume. Of course, that's the name of the game, right? we got to close, lock close, fund loans. But is it working in terms of your referrals, right? Do you have people pre-approved that are referring you to their friends, people that close, realtors? Are they writing you nice reviews? when they got to closing, right? That's the way to measure is what I'm doing effective. And then the final thing is, is if something is not working, that's okay. I've had a plenty of ideas. I'm sure you have as well. Probably not as many as me. I don't know. But I fail a lot. But I've had plenty of ideas over the years that I'm like, this is going to be awesome. And then two weeks later, I'm like, what an air ball, right? That's okay. It happens. But what we don't want to do is keep driving 100 miles an hour toward a brick wall and not change anything. If we thought the idea was good, maybe it was the execution that was poor. Switch up the execution. Maybe the idea just wasn't that good, and we just got to pivot. That's okay. Don't get frustrated. You can come up with something new. Well, I think they're really words of wisdom for sure, and I want to thank you for sharing them with our listeners today. And certainly, I appreciate all of you spending time with us. Thanks so much, Adam. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We appreciate you spending time with us. If your sales team needs training in hiring and lead generation, schedule a free consultation by emailing me at pshirlock at qfsconsulting.com.